Good morning, friends. It is good to be here with you all again. And uh, yeah, so last week we started a brand new series titled We Are Anchor of Hope and trying to unpack together what that means because as some of you may have noticed, we put a new sign on the building and that has our new name on it that we all kind of worked together to give our input. Council decided, we said, yes, this is what we would like to be known as from here on out, but what does that really mean? Because there's a lot of things going on in the world where people are just using words to mean all kinds of things. Um, and so what do we really mean and what does it mean for those who hear it? And so last week we kicked off the series with the vision statement. Like if you were to uh, pin us down and say, what is your church about? What are you trying to do? What do you want to see here in Florence? And that vision statement is restoring hope in our community one person at a time. And we unpacked each of those phrases there, restoring hope and what that looks like, our trust in the Lord, where the Bible says that our hope is found really in, in nothing else. Good, true, solid hope is only found in Christ. And uh, if you go through all of Scripture, uh, Old and New Testament, that's where it points. Uh, we also talked about, you know, in our community where it's not just some far off place that we're supporting with missions funds or different things, but it's really, we want to see hope here. We want to see families who really need hope find it here, uh, not just in this place, but in our community around us. Because how many of you know that the church is not a building, it's people. And so, and then one person at a time, that's a measurable goal. Uh, I went through some life coaching a couple years ago, and they always want you to uh, commit to some kind of what they call SMART goals. That's an acronym for something. But one of those is measurable. How do you measure success? And really, for us, it would be that we're restoring hope one person at a time. It, it's not like we're trying to reach all these many people, although we are, <laughs> but that we're, we're just us individually and even us as a church, we're trying to do it just, just the person that we're sitting across from that we notice at coffee or when we're out on the, the golf, golf, golf links. There we go. I, I don't play golf, and so, but I know some of you do. And so like if you're over there or if you're at, at Copeland's or you're at True Value or wherever you are, Safeway even or Freddy's because that's less expensive in some things. But like you go there and whoever comes across your path, you're trying to just say, I see you. I, you know, God sees you. God loves you and trying to restore that hope for them. And obviously it's not just us doing it. It's God doing it through us. And so that's where we're trying to be that conduit uh, for the Lord's work here in Florence. That all brings us to today. You can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is Live Love, and the passage we're going to be covering is Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and the big idea, it's our mission statement. It's uh, why we exist, 
uh, is to live like Jesus, share his love. Live like Jesus, share his love, and we'll unpack that. I feel a little daunted uh, to be in a room with people who have walked with the Lord for so long. Um, there was a point a couple years back, gosh, actually like eight years back now, when I was applying to a church in Albany, which I eventually went to, that morning I went to the church I grew up in, Milwaukee Christian Church. And I sat in the back because that's what my family did when I was growing up. And I had been gone for tons and tons of years. And there was this guy I recognized. I didn't know his name because I was just a little gupper when I was, you know, there. And, but I went there, me and the family, we all went there uh, before we were supposed to take this trek to Albany to meet with their, uh, their search committee. And they were covering the book of Acts, which every church covers the book of Acts. Every, well, every church covers what's in the Bible, I hope. But, um, but, but something that I noticed, because so, I, was, I was sitting in the back and I saw this guy, and it dawned on me, how many times has this guy heard this passage? Preached, exposited, lifting out all these details. Um, what I'm about to share with you this morning, the passage we have it, if you've been in the church for very long or any kind of exposure, you've heard this passage because it's called the Great Commission. It's why the church exists, and we'll get into that a little bit. Some of the backstory of what brings us to Matthew 28, it's so common because every church is built on it, <laughs> uh, but it's the, it's the capstone moment of the gospel of Matthew. All things have been leading to this moment for the disciples. Jesus, he was a first century rabbi in what we would know as the, the region of Palestine, but back then they were in the region called Judea uh, within that, that, you know, Middle East area. And he had called these people disciples. And for them as a culture, that would be like for us calling an apprentice, saying, hey, come follow me, come do what I do, come be like me, um, and, you know, I'm going to show you how to do what I do. And so just like if you're in a trade or you're training for some kind of job, uh, it's you're trying to learn these skills and these qualities to go and do the same. And that's the heart of what we come today to call discipleship, is really learning how to do what somebody else does. But we're not just trying to base it off of just anybody. We're really trying to figure out, Jesus called his, his first disciples, and then they were called to do something else. And we'll get to that in a second. But those disciples, they had been literally living with, sleeping next to, eating with, and watching Jesus, and even being sent out and delegated responsibility from Jesus. Jesus saying, hey, you go out and do this thing and then come back and tell me how you did and we'll debrief. And in that process and in that experience, that all culminated to Jesus dying on the cross. That was a huge blow to their ego <laughs> as disciples because we've just invested our entire lives 
into following this guy that we've come to kind of think he's the one, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, and yet then he died. What's up with that? And then uh, as we read the gospel account, we know that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose from the grave on the third day, and that all fulfills Old Testament prophecy of how God was going to do all of that. Now, but then there was some time after he had raised from the dead where he spent that time with his disciples. And at that point, they may have been wondering, okay, Jesus, is it now? Are you going to restore the kingdom now? Is now the time that you're going to set everything right? And the answer was yes, but not yet. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason for that is because this moment that we're about to read and some of you may have already read ahead, and that's okay, because um, I've been talking for a little bit. But this moment, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's like the, the coach's speech right before they go onto the field to go play the game. It's that moment where it's the pep talk. It's the, it's the send-off moment to say, okay, this is what we're going to do and you're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. And so that's, I mean, that's really the main thrust of this passage, and that's why it carries so much weight, and we're going to find why it's so important for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the pew in front of you, or you can follow along digitally on the screen with me uh, up here. Here we go. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Friends, this is the word of the Lord recorded by uh, the Apostle Matthew. And the first thing I learn from this, what I gather from all of this, is really here are the disciples, people who have been, who have committed their lives to living like Jesus and sharing whatever it is that Jesus has given them along the way. And for our sake and our, our purposes, we, we are summarizing it in the statement, live like Jesus, share his love. You can go to the next slide. And so the first thing I see, though, in our passage is that revelation follows obedience. Now, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, although that's a really cool, groovy book, and you should totally read it sometime, but that's not what I'm talking about. Revelation as in like something that is revealed to you, something that's opened up or unfolds before you. And so revelation follows obedience. The disciples, the 11 that remain at this point, 
that core group. Uh, they're, they're minus one because of Judas and that whole situation. But they had a choice. They could either say, no, Jesus, I'm okay. I got to go fishing. <laughs> or Jesus tells them, okay, you're in Jerusalem now. Okay, go to Galilee to this mountain, which they'd spent a ton of time in Galilee, so surely they knew, okay, this is the mountain Jesus is talking about. This is probably the spot. We're going to meet him there. And they had a choice of whether to do what Jesus said or not. And for us today, we have a choice to do the things that God calls us to do or not. Now, the encouraging thing is that revelation follows obedience. That, that revelation, that, that unfolding, it, it's going to be something that's on the other side of our obedience, that if we were not faithful to obey whatever God had called us into, then we wouldn't be experiencing what he has for us. And so, and this is a pretty big moment. <laughs> like, had they missed this, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to miss this meeting. <laughs> this is pretty pivotal for their experience with Jesus. And so Revelation, it follows obedience. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Uh, speaking to the church in Philippi, uh, Paul says, you, meaning the church, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's good. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the, high, the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Obedience glorifies God the Father. Our obedience glorifies him when we follow what he says. And on the other side of that, we get to experience a taste of that glory. We get to taste that goodness on the other side of our obedience. Uh, I love, so they, they go to the mountain, just as Jesus had told them to do, and then they saw him, and they worshiped him, and yet some doubted. What I love about that just full verse there is that even among the worshipers there are people who both have faith and there are those who have doubt and that's okay god's not afraid of your doubts he's not afraid of your questions he is asking you to obey and thankfully he inspires some of us to actually do that and we have that, you know, that gumption, just like the disciples, where if Jesus says, do this, then by the power of the Holy Spirit helping us, we're going to be able to go do those things. Now, 
Revelation follows obedience. And we exist to live like Jesus and share his love. When we live like Jesus, when we embrace that position as a disciple, that humble position saying, Jesus, I don't know it all. I'm going to look to you, to what you have to say, and I'm going to follow your voice and your leading, the words you have to say. I'm, you are above me. Even if my opinion seems pretty good, I'm going to submit to that. And then through that process, we experience his love. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But, but then as a part of discipleship, we share that. We share that revelation that we've been given. And that is a good segue into our next point that we get from this passage. You can go to the next slide. I see the disciples being called to be sharing what they're given, or, you know, for us, sharing what we are given. Through discipleship, there are two things, Jesus, two big, big practices that Jesus says to do. They are to make disciples. So first command, go. <laughs> just go. <laughs> but not just go. Go and make disciples. And then the, the uh, another big crux of the matter is this idea of baptism. And so for us as a tribe, as a people, uh, baptism really, it, it's a symbolic act. Water is not the thing that saves you. And yet, baptism, even from this ancient time, is, it's an identifying mark. It's a moment where we are saying to God and everybody that I belong to Jesus and that with all I've got, I'm going to follow him. Even when I fall, I'm going to get back up again and keep following him until my dying breath. And that's, I mean, that's, that's that... Uh, that ceremony moment where, it, I mean, it's just water. There's nothing special about the water. But yet God is there with us in that moment of baptism. And so he says to first go and make disciples. So go and do the things that you've already been learning how to do because I've been apprenticing you to do those things. And then he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this part of sharing what we're given, it really has four components to it. As we disciple, what we're doing through discipleship, that's the work of the church, discipleship. It's that we're telling people that they have a place. We're inviting people into this this movement, this, this thing called discipleship. We're going and making disciples, which involves going and, you know, interacting with people and having that personal connection with them. And there is a sense of belonging if you are a disciple. Jesus had a bunch of knuckleheads as disciples. And yet, you know, whether they, you know, it's, it's questionable where their IQ necessarily was, or they were really, really brilliant, or, or anywhere in between, God, Jesus had a place for them in his, in his group, in his discipleship. And people, even outside of the 12, people were following Jesus because they saw, man, 
Jesus has something that I want. I may not be able to put my finger on it, but Jesus has something that I don't have, and I want to go after that thing. And it was an attractive sort of thing, but then things whittled down, and then he was just left with the 12, (laughs) and eventually 11. And so there's a place, though, for people. The second thing is identity. As disciples, we are given an identity, and I love this because, so we're not just being baptized into anything. We're being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Theologians, I, I was reading some different commentaries, and somebody had pointed out that this is a a wonderful, unique moment because here we get to have that really big idea that's really hard to explain put right in here to our commission of we're to baptize people in the name of the Trinity. What that means is that God is one God, and yet he is three persons. And that's a mysterious, wonderful thing. We'll talk about it another time beyond this point. But suffice to say, we are baptized into the family of God. Our identity comes from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so baptism, it's not just hanging out with people, becoming like each other, iron sharpening iron. There's also this place of identification saying, this is who I am because of Jesus. I am in Christ. I am in the Father. I am in the Spirit. This is who I am. I'm not just somebody else. I'm not just a part of some other religion. This is me. And it's rooting our identity in Christ. And it's rooting these new disciples' identity in Christ, which is something that's been passed down from disciple to disciple because that's what they were called to do. So uh, third thing specifically, that discipleship and baptism, it, it brings people into the family of God. It says, we are a family. Whether we like each other or not, we're a family. Whether we like our brothers and sisters down the street, we're a family because we're in Christ. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians Ah, I think it's chapter 5, maybe chapter 4. Forgive me for not having an address. But where we are called to one faith and one baptism and a bunch of other ones. But, (laughs) But the idea being that there are singular things that unite us together and Jesus is that. Discipleship, living like Jesus is that. The fourth thing it gives us in this whole sharing what we're given. Go back, go back. I'm sorry. Yes, sharing what we're given. We're given things. So we're also given a purpose. In this statement, we're given a purpose. It's not just, great guys, you've been traveling with me for all this time. You've really been investing well. Now just go back to fishing. It's no, it's saying, here is your purpose disciples, here you go. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all I've commanded. It gives them a purpose. The substance of discipleship is the words of Jesus communicated through relationship, resulting in obedience. 
And obedience to Christ is ultimately the, the desired outcome of discipleship. And that brings glory to the Father. What I love about this piece about obedience is that it's not just something we can think about. It's something that our heart has to be in it too. It's a heart thing. It's something that transforms you from the inside out to where you're not just checking a box and saying, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Check, got it, good to go. It's, it's something that transforms you from the inside out to where you are no longer who you used to be. You are now more and more like Jesus. And that's not an overnight thing. That's something that takes time. It takes well, it, it, the, the process, it just takes time. You, are, you still belong, you're still in family, but the process of becoming more like Jesus, that takes a lifetime. <laughs> and that is good news, because I fail, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, nothing scary, just like, I, you know, I'm, I'm a messy person too, just like the rest of you. You know, God's still working on me. And so, sharing what we're given live like Jesus, share his love. And the third and final thing is that we are known by our love. Love is a funny word. Um, there's a lot of sermons we could talk about love. We could do a whole series on love. That's not what we're here for. I'm going to focus primarily on what the Bible says is divine love, or what, really the love that characterizes God. And that is the Greek word agape, which means unconditional love. And why I think that's important, and even though I know you're going to look at this passage and say, Pastor Tim, that's not in here, friend. <laughs> what are you getting at? Where are you going? Well, so Jesus says in verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll unpack those in the next couple of weeks, by the way. But love is such a key facet of what Christ has given us and what Christ has shown us. And that unconditional love, it looks like Jesus. It looks like, uh, I heard it said by a good friend of mine, biblical love is cross-shaped. Because, man, when I think of the love that God had for me, knowing all of my mess-ups, all my screw-ups and all my everything that's inside of me, Jesus still loved me enough that while I was still a sinner, he died for me, and he died for you. We're known by our love. Now, what's interesting is this week I had so many chances to show people love, um, and there were good moments and there were just ugly moments where I, I, I fell. It was stupid. Where the, so a good moment was this friend shared a really intimate detail about his life on Facebook. 
And I, I hate Facebook. I, I still scroll through my feed habitually and addictively, but I hate Facebook, but I love that somehow on this particular day, I, the algorithm got me right. <laughs> and it shared this, this post from my friend, and it was something where the world has a lot to say about it to try to affirm a certain thing. And I was really wrestling with how do I even speak into this because I love this guy. And I don't agree with every, you know, facet of what he shared, but it's like, but God loves him. How do I communicate that to him? And so I, I, uh, I don't know. I was working on my sermon at the time, but I, I posted this thing where I basically said, thank you so much for trusting people like me with that information. I'm humbled that you felt like you could share that. We love you. And and he typed back really simply, thank you so much, that means a lot. And he knows where we stand on things, and he knows that we're pastors, that we're believers, and all of that. But I had a chance that so many other people were, were sharing loving, affirming things that, that were basically saying, we support you 100% no matter what, and all of these things. And yet, I wanted to be able to have a voice like Jesus would have had a voice for him. And so I, I just, I wrestled with how to say it, and that was a good, positive moment. There's also the negative. So there was a point, um, I think it was Wednesday night even, oh, man, where... Uh, as some of you may know, we've had the opportunity as parents to foster a girl named JJ. She's the one who's been running around uh, everywhere. And uh, we're still getting adjusted to JJ. And JJ's still getting adjusted to us. And that's a good thing. Um, but I, you know, and in the decision to do that, um, when Angie approached me about it, she said, you know, I was approached about the situation, what do we do? And on this one drive back, I, I was so overcome with this idea of like, God loves JJ. God loves these kids who, who it's not their fault that they're in this system and that they're experiencing all kinds of manner of ugly stuff. Maybe I could be somebody who could show her love by you know, offering a home, a safe place for her to be, feeding, clothing, being just like a non-threatening environment. There, so that's all the good stuff. But then there's this point where it's been real rough, y'all. It's been rough. Can I just say it's been rough? So flippin' rough for me to do this. Like, I thought having a baby wake you up at 2 a.m. when I first, when Maggie first popped out was bad. No, like, there's still pride inside of me, and, like, I'm a stubborn mule at times, and, like, all these things, and there's this moment where on Wednesday, I had just, we've been, a, like, a month and a half into this, and I broke, and I just said, I'm done. Like, if she acts out again, I want to send her back to DHS. And the frustrating thing to me is that I instantly felt a check in my spirit because Angie said, go cool down. 
which is awesome because I have such a good discerning bride. But like in the days following, because I'm supposed to be talking about sharing love Sunday, and yet here I am wanting to reject this girl where God has trusted her to us. And I, I share all that not because I'm trying to say you have to do these certain things this certain way. You have your spheres of influence where God is calling you to share love and to be known by the love that he's shown you in your life that you show to other people. And there are times when we will be successful and there's times when we will fail. The important part is we still need to try. You still need to try, even when it's hard, even when it feels like it's costing you a whole hell of a lot. Like Jesus being crucified on a cross, sometimes you're going through things where it sure feels like crucifixion to try to love this person, even though we can't even imagine what Jesus went through, and yet we are still called to love as he has loved us to be ambassadors to the world with that love. And so that whole teaching them to obey all the commands I've given you, to you so love. How do we do that? I love, so yeah, I love, I, I love how Jesus puts this in at the very end. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have Jesus with us because of the Holy Spirit living in and around and through our lives. We have the Holy Spirit with us as believers. Paul writes again in Corinthians, I'm not going to quote the verse, but you probably already you know, have it in your mind. There's this moment in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul, he's kind of speaking, oh, what's the word? With hyperbole, with just big exaggerated language. And he's saying, if I have this, but I have not love, it means nothing. And when he gets through all these different things, he says, and yet these three things abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And that's that condition, not conditional, unconditional, never failing love of God that is with us as we go through this life. And so, in summary, we as a church, you might ask the question, especially with, you know, maybe a, so few people here today, why do we exist? Why, are, why has God kept us going these 122 years we've been in Florence? I believe, like probably a bunch of other pastors before me, if we were to sit down and, and talk it through, it really comes down to this kind of a statement, live like Jesus and share his love. And that's really, it's a summary of the Great Commission. We're to be disciples and we're to share what Jesus has given us. And that's all to be characterized by the love of God. There you go. Now, with all of this, here's the question. What does that mean for you? I can't answer that. Um... Maybe if we sat down with some coffee or tea or, I don't know, went fishing or something, that'd be, 
We'd have a whole lot of time to talk if we were fishing. <laughs> but my point is, what that looks like for you, I don't know. That's a, that's a question you're going to have to chew on and think about for yourself and to ask God this week. God, what does it look like for me to live like you, Jesus? What does it mean for me to share your love? Because I've experienced your love this way. How do I share that with other people? And I think that's the exciting thing about having a phrase like this because it helps us, it challenges us. It doesn't let us off the hook. And I find that encouraging. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and we'll, uh, we'll close this out. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, Jesus, for your love. That even while we were still sinners, you died for me. And you died for my friends here. And you didn't stay dead. You rose again from the grave victorious with authority. Jesus, you are king of everything. And we recognize you here today as both Savior and Lord. And we worship you. Jesus, help us to be good disciples who go and make more disciples, who, who are sharing your love with people. Because God, it's not in our own strength that we can even hope to go and make disciples of all nations and fulfill this great call for your disciples for us today. God, it's in your strength, in your love, in your your presence with us always, Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we want to glorify you today through our lives in whatever worldly state you have us in, God. Let our prayer be glorify your name, Jesus. Let us be known by your love. Amen. Friends, would you stand, and we're going to send you off with a benediction. It has been good to be here with you today to open the Word. Um, I pray that you were encouraged, and if you weren't encouraged, that at least you were challenged a bit. And if you have any questions, uh, I still believe conflict is, can be a good thing. Um, and that we can grow from that. And so if you want to connect this week, please reach out to me. I would love to connect more. Um, and as we go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.